Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today on the Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Marty Miller here with fellow co-host, Regional Master Instructor, Miss Wendy Batts. Wendy, how are you doing today? I'm great, Marty. How are you? Good. Looking forward to today's topic. I'm a, I guess I'm a little biased because as you and I both know, we're both passionate about corrective exercise, but we had the pleasure of traveling overseas and we had a lot of questions about corrective exercise, how to you know, really put it into practice. What does it truly mean? And how do you make it kind of fun? So today we're going to do what I'm going to say is that 40,000 foot overview. And then we can always come back in, in the coming weeks and maybe dig a little deeper. Yeah. And I think it's important to say that we also are going to show some of the exercises that we do, especially under the um, activation portion, because I think that's where some of the confusion lies. When we're really trying to target one particular area, we want to make sure that we're activating that one muscle. And so some of these um, exercises that we show are ones that we uh, we know are usually under active based on the assessments, of course. And so let's go ahead and dive on in, Marty. Yeah, so obviously there's a lot of learning objectives we could have put, but here's four basic ones that we're always going to talk about. We're going to talk about the corrective exercise continuum, right? It's a four-step process. The exercises that we are going to show are highly uh, geared towards the integration at the end. You know, we'll talk real quickly about the importance of myofascial techniques. We're not going to take a deep dive into the science. I think everyone here knows that. If you have questions, keep them coming our way and we can use that as a way to come back to you talk about the principles of flexibility, and then really where the majority is going to be on that activation integration of like, how do you get people now doing corrective exercise so it becomes part of their program and they enjoy it? Yes. I think too, it's important just as a review. I mean, we obviously have an entire course called the corrective exercise specialization course. And so what we're trying to do is we're looking at someone's assessment and we're trying to find out where their compensations are. And remember, there are certain muscles that are going to cause those compensations when they're overactive. There's other muscles that are allowing those compensations. And so we want to make sure that we're doing the right techniques to really look at that joint to get better range of motion. So ideally, when we talk about looking for dysfunction, we're doing that through the assessments. And then we want to develop a very specific action to integrate proper movement patterns before we get them into the resistance portion. So again, this should be the part that is above the resistance, meaning the body part section of your workout. Yeah, it all comes down to establishing proper human movement. And then from there, people can truly either be out of pain, find the motivation to exercise or take their program to a whole nother level. Yes. So, okay, why is it important? Wendy, you and I both know that this came from an athletic model, but people get injured all the time. So, you know, this is a, another passion of mine. You know, why do people, you know, deal with pain when they don't have to? So you'll see here that we found some research that suggests musculoskeletal injuries and pain are very common and more so than they were 50 years ago. And then we can relate that to poor movement quality, which, you know, we've talked about driving your car. If your car is out of balance, you know what you need to do. You don't drive it real fast. You, you know, you uh, kind of contemplate when, but you get it to the dealer or to your mechanic fairly quickly to rebalance everything. So no difference with your body. We don't want those biomechanical stresses going through the body, whether it's ground force reaction, if you're running or playing tennis and things like that, you know, and then there's the other stress that comes from that, the cortisol that comes from being in pain and inflammation. So nothing good comes from moving improperly. 
Yep. And keep in mind too, that because think about 50 years ago, what were most people doing? They were farming, they were out moving, they weren't sitting behind a computer and doing technology. And so as we know, based on technology and how more and more people are doing that at their jobs, they're sitting more, they're becoming more sedentary. And so as we see these numbers on the rise in comparison to where it was 50 years ago, it should kind of make sense because of what we do on the day to day. Without a doubt, it's key to understand this. Your clients are going to have issues. So at a, at a high level, what is corrective exercise? If we could see this, it's really truly getting optimal neuromuscular control. And what does that really mean? It's just quality human movement. You know, we know that there's ideal ways to move. Not everyone's going to move perfect. But if we look at the continuum more towards ideal movement, that's the key thing. And, you know, from there you get normal force couple relationships, which means the joints move well, which then you're going to get normal joint arthrokinematics and you're going to get normal length tension relationships. So all of the things are intertwined, but that's what drives optimal neuromuscular control. And then from there and now you can really kind of push this person to limits that they want to go to, whether it's into the strength phases or the power phases, whether they want to do some type of new activity. But it's all going to start with ideal movement. And then we have our four-step process, which is evidence-based. We know this. This isn't guesswork. You know, you're going to inhibit anything that you've identified as overactive. There's a lot of different techniques to do that. You're going to lengthen anything you've identified as overactive. Then you're going to fire up the opposing muscle, the synergist, and the, or the reciprocal partners to these muscles, like the glutes. You're going to get those fired up. And then you're going to get all that tied back in together with an integration technique. Sounds simple. It is simple, but we're going to dive into a little more on how to make these exercises come to life. So when we talk about inhibition techniques, again, guys, there has been a change in the way that we talk about it. It's no longer self-myofascial release. And we talk about it being more science, self-myofascial technique. And it's because what we're trying to do is downregulate overactivity of the muscle. And that is because based on research, again, we start changing when we see something change in research, which they don't know exactly what was being released, but they do know that they are downregulating overactivity of a muscle that is shown to be overactive, again, through the assessment process. And so when you're going through and you're utilizing something like a foam roller or any type of the balls, Again, if you have vibration techniques, you're probably going to get quicker response to that down regulation. And that's why we're big advocates for that. It increases blood flow and everything. However, even if it doesn't vibrate, you're still going to get a positive effect, especially if you're holding on that area for 20 to 30 seconds, trying to, again, get proper link tension relationship back into that overactive muscle. And you can do so again with the rollers, the the spheres that you see, or any of the percussion devices like a Theragun or a Hyperbolt. Yeah, I love the vibration, you know, the neuromodulation of pain and all that. And, you know, there's so much research out there. So use these techniques, learn these techniques, and you're going to get great results. And your client's just going to feel better and want to participate more. Yes. So lengthening, okay, whatever you just spent time rolling or using the percussion devices or whatever it is to download or regulate the overactivity, you're going to get a better response when now you go into static stretching. Now, remember, static stretching are muscles that have shown to be overactive. We're not static stretching for the sake of static stretching. We're looking at where do the compensations lie based on the five kinetic chain checkpoints? What have we identified? And then we're going to hold those muscles that have shown to be overactive for 20 to 30 seconds. 
Now, this again is going to help proper range of motion and it's going to start the process on the overactive side of that joint to get that length back. And then that's why if you spend the time really focusing on the muscles that are overactive, that when we get into the next step, you're going to have a very positive response because you can't just stretch and work on one side of the joint without really focusing on the other as well. Yep. It's that the symbiotic relationship that we've known works so well. And, it, you know, clearly I think the key part is for people to focus on, you know, what the assessment derives. And that's where, you know, as um, corrective exercise specialists, personal trainers, our value really comes in because they're not going to know, right. They're going to know that they feel pain maybe in their rhomboids and they might want to do something, but you know, are they going to have the right strategy? So that's why the corrective exercise specialist is so critical. But I also think the value of you learning it is we dive deeper into the anatomy, give you some more assessments. So your ability to identify human movement dysfunction increases. Yes. And so when we go and look at, you know, this is obviously for the lengthening and we're talking about, you know, static stretching and then going into different types of stretching after the fact, when we get into the activation, which you're going to see next, that is the side of the joint. Again, you've got your agonist and your antagonist. Let's say the antagonist um, is the weaker side. And so we need to re-educate our muscles to start kind of waking up and doing the job that they were intended to do. Because again, if you have a prime mover that's not firing as much as it should, you're having to use your stabilizers or your helper muscles to actually get that movement to do whatever it is that you're going to have it do. Because remember, the brain says stand up. You're going to stand up whether you're using your quads and your glutes to help get your hips more in a hip extension position or not, it's going to happen. However, were there compensations and other muscles that had to step in to do that job? Well, if we pinpoint the overactive muscles and we really look at specifically targeting those weaker muscles, we are going to do that in the activation section. So therefore we can isolate that area, get it to start firing correctly. So therefore we're making sure we're realigning that joint to get proper range of motion as we move up the kinetic chain. So specifically at the ankles, specifically at the hip, remember that's gonna help control what's happening at the knee. And then we can go up the kinetic chain as needed. And this is why it's important to be able to really do the good assessments, see what you're seeing or see what's there, and then being very specific and targeted with your programming, because this makes the programming more effective, but also kind of, you can get a lot done in eight to 10, 12, very targeted minutes. Yes. And again, this is just look at it as the warm up. Don't look at it as you've started anything, even though we are now activating muscles and working those muscles. This is going to be a very, you know, slow movement pattern. So you're going to go back to the tempo of the four, two, one, one being the con or your concentric. You're going to hold for two seconds and then release if you're working like the anterior tip, as you see here. And you're going to do that 12 to 20 times. That's why, you know, all the cute variables are there for all the phases because that's what exactly has been shown um, to work, you know, kind of like we always say the recipe book. So, you know, pause real quick. For those of you just joining in today on the Master Instructor Roundtable, we're kind of talking about all things corrective exercise or a reintroduction into corrective exercise, going through the different uh, phases of that. But then we're going to spend some time here very shortly on a lot of these integration techniques. So as we move forward here, let's talk about the purpose of an integration technique. You know, this is to get what I always say, the body to play nice together. And what I mean by that 
is the, you know, Wendy, you've heard me say this, it's been a while since we haven't been on the road, but you know, if you look at corrective exercises, kind of like, you know, the Boston Philharmonic, right? You've got a hundred or whatever amazing musicians there. If you take one of them out and put me in, I know it's hard to believe I have zero music ability. They can hide me for a while, but eventually I'm going to rear my ugly head and they're going to have to overwork to cover me up and then things are going to fall apart. So that's where Wendy just talked about the activation. You're targeting that one that's not doing its job. Now the integration is getting all of those musicians again, or all those muscles to start understanding how to communicate and do their job at the right time. So there's this beautiful symphony of human movement. So that's always a way that I think about it. All it takes is one or two little things to put a chink in your armor, whether you're feeling it or not, but everything else has to compensate. So this is where during integration, we're working on getting a full body movement to where everything understands its roles, its responsibilities, and it's not so targeted and isolated. And I think it's important to guys remember when we had that slide up before we've got, you know, our brain, our muscles and our bones. And if we have over time, this is how I always stand or this is what's comfortable for me. Over time, our body starts to take the path of least resistance. Now we're trying to change it into what's proper versus what it knows. And so when you start to get this newfound length by stretching a muscle and then now you've got activating on the other side, so you've got proper range of motion. The body and the brain need to learn, like you said, Marty, how to play together nicely. And so this is super important is, you know, think of the total body exercise. This is where we're getting the upper body and the lower body now to work together and maintaining that proper movement pattern. So again, this is your warm up that's very targeted. So now we can go into our phase one workout once we get done with the integration component. So don't think about corrective exercises being one thing and what you've learned in your CPT as another. This is kind of now taking over on that template what you would see. And you're still going to see activation and, and all that. This is that portion of that, that uh, template that you're using if you have not gone through the corrective exercise. Right. Absolutely. So this is that last part of that targeted warmup. So here's, you know, we're going to go through now for the next little bit, some, not all of our favorite exercises. And we want to kind of touch on these on a very high level. Wendy and I have the skill, yes, or the uh, ability to overthink in a good way. The bear crawler, any of these exercises, we can spend 25, 30 minutes on any of these exercises. So we're going to try to stay at a higher level getting you to think about how these may not look like a corrective exercise, but really are when you look at the ones we pick. So from an integration technique, we're always gonna say if applicable, if appropriate for your client. So a bear crawl, what I love about it is your hands are on the ground, okay? Now, yes, I gotta get up and get off the ground, but that co-contraction by being on the ground, it's forcing accidentally or however you wanna term it, other muscles to work. So we want them to work properly. But this is a great way. You can, this individual has got a great um, spinal position of the cervical spine. They're in a little bit of protraction. So they're getting that serratus anterior, right? A lot of good things are happening without overthinking it. So you can get a lot of bang for your buck. And you'll look at the, uh, you know, progressions that we put in here. You can do an isometric where you're just holding. Then you can do forward. You could do backward. You could go lateral. You could do rotation. You could go reaction based on your cues, right? Like red light, green light, or they go through cones, whatever you want to do. But a bear crawl is a phenomenal integration technique. It may not be for everybody, but I think it's underutilized. Mm -hmm. Yep. And we use it a lot in dynamic stretching, but it's mm -hmm. like, why not use it in the activation port or the integration component, which again is more appropriate because you have more joints working.
Yeah, so. great way to get the heart rate up as well. So I'll let you take yeah. this one, Wendy. Well, lunge with rotation. Marty and I talk about this. You'll see this in a lot of the programs that we have done here on the Master Instructor Roundtable. But you've got to think when you've got multiple joints moving and now you're going through looking for those parallel lines. So the knees directly over the second and third toe, the torso and shin have proper parallel lines. Reason that's important is because that way we're making sure that the ankles, the hip, and the knee are sharing that load of movement. And that's also going to shift the weight slightly forward onto that front leg and not the back. That way we're getting really good activation of the quad and glute, which is what you should be utilizing when doing a lunge. And then now when you start adding that rotation, so we start adding that thoracic rotation, we know people are limited there, especially if they have rounded shoulders and a forward head. So if we're maintaining proper alignment of the torso, and then we start adding that movement pattern, we are now getting the thoracic spine to move the way that it's intended to move. And that back foot first MTP joint, which if you missed our master instructor roundtable on the importance of the first MTP joint, you should watch it. But that's also a very important joint. So we want to make sure that we've got 70 degrees of flexion there. And if we don't, this is an exercise once we start to get better quality of movement that integrates the ankle, the knee, the hips, the shoulders, the entire kinetic chain. And, and like I said, we're really focusing whether you hold that pattern isometrically, we start to add a balance in between it. We just do more stationary or you start to actually add movement to it. I think this is an exercise I use all the time. Um, because of all the benefits, but I don't think we think sometimes why we're doing it. We just assume it's just a quad and glute when in all reality, there's a lot of really positives that can be included in this one exercise alone. Yeah. There's so much bang for your buck here that this is a must do for me when the, it's appropriate. Obviously there's progressions to get to it, but for all the reasons you said, Wendy, this is something I always include. Then I'll jump in here with the mini bands slash high planks, however you want to call these little different terms. But once again, going back to what I said on the bear crawl, we don't need to overthink this one. It's going to be very similar. But here you're again, look, even the first MTP joint, right? You're sneaking things in there. But you can do the isometric. But then what I like is what I call the external rotation bias. Most people are very internally rotated dominant, but just by having the right band with a little resistance, and applying some outward force, you're getting some external rotation bias to it. So you can have the bands, you know, in different positions to make it more difficult. And sometimes it's even just taking your hand up an inch and bringing it back, taking the other hand up an inch or out an inch, getting a little more stretch on that band. It's kind of like that um, reactive neuromuscular training where it's forcing you to stabilize even harder. So phenomenal exercises, very simple, very safe, but don't just do the high plank maybe consider putting a mini band on there as well. Yeah, but I think it's important to re remember some of the ones that we're showing you guys are a little bit more advanced. And as Marty said, you want a really, really light band and an easy cue when you're starting to add movement is to have them visualize a clock. And if their hands are pointed towards 12 o'clock, then you have them take maybe their left hand and they're going to 11 o'clock or nine o'clock or whatever it is. So therefore they have a chance to actually get that movement, but visually they understand where you want them to go and what their body should be doing, ensuring that this, the arm that's now being stabilized maintains good positioning of that back and that you um, keep uh, adding that kind of plus, if you will, because oftentimes when they get tired, they're going to want to wing or drop in that thoracic spine. And you need to make sure that they keep proper level 
throughout their entire position or it's too advanced and you need to remove the band. Yeah. And again, you can start just with the plank and go from there. But we wanted to show something a little bit different outside the box. So Wendy, I'll let you go with this one. I know you are the plank, you know, champion. <laughs> well, and the thing is, guys, the high plank that you just saw, this is the exact same thing. It's just now you're on your elbows. And, you know, I think often we take these planks and we want to hold them for 30 seconds or 60 seconds. I, we have shown in multiple workshops and we have shown the importance of just coming up, holding two to three, maybe four seconds, relaxing down and then propping back up. So therefore, they have to really work through their shoulder capsule and maintaining proper alignment, as well as drawing in and squeezing the glutes. So, you know, when you're going through doing any kind of planks, you can have a mini band again on the elbows and the arms, especially if they're internally rotated, or you can put the band around their feet and then do the same thing that I just said, have them step out to the side, bring it in, have them maybe point out into triple extension, and then can they move into abduction and then back down without breaking the plank positioning? So challenge it in a little different way, do different things, be creative. However, remember, this is definitely more advanced and you want to ensure that they can activate, relax, and then build time off of that before you start to integrate something with a mini band. But again, more advanced, but another way of activating a muscle or, or um, activating your body in a different way, utilizing an exercise you're very familiar with. Yeah. And in today's world, you know, people get a little bored quickly with exercises because of Instagram and social media and everyone can look things up. You know, where before I could give somebody the same exercises for two, three days with some minor tweaks and they were okay with it. But now everybody needs something different every day. So, you know, I'm always going to go after what they need. But then sometimes, like I said, I'll give them what they want. So I'll have different variations of the same exercise because I'm still working on something. But it's where it's important for you to be able to have a wide variety or a big arsenal of exercises in your library. And on the Master Instructor Roundtable with myself, Wendy Batts and Marty Miller, we're talking kind of like a reintroduction to corrective exercise. We have discussed corrective exercise and the importance of each component. But remember that four-step process of uh, going through and um, uh, using a foam roller. So we're really working on inhibiting, then lengthening, and then activating, and then integrating. That is the way to get the body to fire very individually based on the assessments and then now we're going over some of the exercise, especially under integration, where we're getting the upper and lower body to talk to each other. And I think this is a, a very, very good exercise, um, as long as your clients can maintain proper alignment. Love it. So, Wendy, I'm not going to touch this. I know this is right. <laughs> so, as, as you have heard me say, and I've said this a bunch today, I love the bridge because the bridge to me, I have every client use it. I don't care if they're doing it on the floor. I don't care if they're doing it on a band. I sometimes will add weight. Sometimes I do a mini band. I had a client this morning. This is what they did before they even got off the table because it's very important guys with individuals that sit a lot or they have some sort of anterior pelvic tilt or they, we just know that the glutes are almost always weak. We sit on them. We don't utilize them as much as we should. I've never seen them be overactive in anyone. However, I'm not saying it's not out there. I personally haven't. So for me, if I'm going through and activating the glutes, then at the same time, due to the reciprocal inhibition, I know that I am um, ensuring that I'm stretching through my hip flexors because as one more muscle shortens, the other one has to contract. So therefore, we are re really making sure that we're feeling it within the glutes. 
we're not um, utilizing our, our hamstrings or our lower back because that means we're compensating. And so we want to really just target that one particular area. And to me, if I can know that the glutes are firing before I get them into a workout, I'm, I'm going to ensure the lower back isn't kicking in and causing something to fire that shouldn't. And I'm going to get good activation through the glutes, especially when it's lower body dominant. Yeah, the key thing is execution, right? We're either going to train and get stronger or more stable or whatever it is in the proper human movement, or it's going to be encouraging improper movement by allowing the synergist to be dominant. So that's where you've got to have your cues. You got to know how the exercise is executed and make sure you're giving those thought processes and feedbacks to your client so they can focus on that as well. Yep. And with the mini band, you're getting a lot of um, some of the external rotators of the hip as well. So if you notice that your clients have the knees moving inward by just applying the band, that's going to help try to cue them out of it and strengthen the muscles to keep proper alignment. Now, one suggestion, again, we can't always find the proper pictures, but put their hands in external rotation and that will help keep them um, their shoulders lying more flat onto the ground. And then you can go through and play with the differences on one leg, two legs, legs with adduction and all the fun things that you guys have had us talk about before. Now, this is one I use all the time, band pull apart. I travel with the bands because in case I go to a hotel gym and they don't have what I need, this is just great for posture. So first of all, look at the body positioning, right? We've got three different um, positions here. We've got the top. He's doing something more like your uh, cobras, things like that. So he's doing the horizontal adduction in that hinge position, a little more of a progression. And I like where you let the band actually, you know, go past your chest because you can get a little more shoulder extension that way. Works a little more external rotation biased, right? So if we look at um, all three positions, when I pull apart, I want to make sure my thumbs are going outward. So I'm getting more external rotation, kind of just like what you talked about on the bridge. Why not sneak that in there? You can do diagonals. So almost like your PNF patterns, get a little more, um, you know, transverse plane, diagonal patterning. And there's going to be a lot of different progressions and regressions, but be creative. There's a ton of different variations with the band pull apart. So each day you could give somebody a new version, but you're always accomplishing the same type of thing. Just understand the simple to complex. Don't start with the hardest and then randomly go back to the easiest. But there are ways, or I've combined these to like a two to three minute variation with isometrics and 12 to 15 reps and another isometric and your shoulders are on fire in a good way. But that's a great warm up for my professional baseball players or for my people that really need their rotator cuff and uh, these type of muscles to be, you know, um, legitimately firing for long periods of time. Your beginner couldn't do that, but that's something you could work towards. Yeah. And I think too, remember during corrective exercise, this is something that is utilized a lot in physical therapy, especially the band pull aparts with that external rotation. I know for myself, even with people that have issues in the neck by maintaining proper positioning and then going through this, you're teaching that scapulothoracic rhythm, but that's basically the proper rhythm with the shoulder and the shoulder blade. So all rotator cuff muscles, the pec minor, everything's kind of playing nicely together. And as you see, they're pulling apart at the same time. You can have one arm just stay stationary and then move the other arm. You can do the, you know, you can individualize them, but add these in. Cause as Marty said, these are amazing and you can make it as hard or as easy as you want based on the band or even if you just did this with the cable, but we got to always think that you, it's not always having to be external rotation on the cable or internal rotation. If you can utilize this, you can see how their body is withstanding that five kinetic chain checkpoint 
and then ensuring too proper positioning of the neck and shoulders at all times. Yeah. And we talked about, or I did in other ones, why a band has a more of a progressive resistance, you know, so there's a lot of things uh, that are advantageous. They travel easy. So make it happen. Make it happen. Side planks, Wendy, what do you think? I love side planks. And, um, you know, if your client has good shoulder stability and you're trying to be, you know, add some different things into side planks, as you said, Marty, you can just go through, you can, as the side picture on the bottom shows, even you've got this person doing a high plank. So again, they're, they're going to have to really focus on good contraction and stabilization of the shoulder joint and the stabilizers at all time, maintaining proper alignment again, sideways against gravity can be very challenging. And then as you add a pool, think about what you're doing. Again, you're trying to get the mid to lower trap to fire. You're trying to get your rhomboids to fire. And depending on how far you pull will be depending upon, you know, upon how, how these muscles are activating and the way that you have them activating. The one on the top, I love doing this one because most people, as you know, have weak external or hip external rotators. So adding, of course, I'm a huge tube walk person, as Marty knows. So clamshells and tube walks, I am a big, big, big advocate for. Mm -hmm. So why not do a side plank utilizing and really focusing on our um, core but then also adding the um, the abduction at the same time, as long as they can do it without compensation, you're getting a ton of different integration activation techniques done in this one exercise alone. And it is extremely challenging for people. And, you know, the sign of a great uh, personal trainer is when you can have a high impact in a very short, specific period of time. So when you start to learn these exercises and your client's heart rate's going up appropriately and they're doing different things each day and they're starting to see the um, postural changes and they feel better and you're able to really condense these things down, that's how you elevate your career. I truly believe that. It's, you know, Wendy, you and I have talked about the science of training, then there's the art of training. It's understanding how to choose and pick these uh, exercises and flow. So you're still following the model, but you're making a huge impact with your client. And really important to you guys, you need to practice these yourself because these are really way more challenging than they look. And so just make sure too that, especially when you're doing the upper picture on the right, that you start with a very light band because it is a lot for the brain to, to communicate to the body of what the expectations are. And so it's very easy to compensate if you're not careful and you can leave them up in, a, in that plank and then just move the leg. You can have them go up and down into the plank and then go into abduction. There's a lot of variations just in that alone that you can do as well. Yeah, a ton you can do. And again, there's even more. And Wendy, I'll, I'll try to cover this because I know this is your <laughs> go-to. But, you know, you're if you train Wendy, you're going to do bridges, you're going to do side planks, and you're going to do lateral tube walking, whether you like it or not. So that means that they're highly effective because Wendy doesn't just do things to do things. So you got to look at the body position. You got to have the spine in a neutral position. You got to make sure that you're not externally rotating the lower leg and firing up the TFL instead of the glute medius. You're trying to stay low into that athletic position. There's a lot of compensations that it can occur, but that can occur, but you really need to work on this exercise. Even if you do it without the band at first, but the key point here is start with the band above the knees. You move the band lower if you find appropriate. But what I like is the individual on the right 
the key concept that I like to teach and when we could spend a half hour on this is what I find is when people go to step right, like this individual is doing to his right, they forget the band's going to pull the left leg in. So a lot of times I start just with the individual on on the left, just going out, coming back, going out, coming back before they even move, keeping their feet flat on the ground. So they just even understand that, Hey, if I move to the right, my left leg is going to want to be dragged in from the band that I have to fire both because the goal isn't to work one side of the glute and let the other one collapse in. So focus on those type of things. So a progression could be like, you see the individual on the right, he may just be stepping out and making sure that the left knee doesn't fire and fall in and then coming back before he even starts to go to the left, go to the right. So I think people should kind of stay still first, learn the firing pattern, stepping back, stepping back before they move. But, you know, this is an exercise that I absolutely love. Yeah. And again, I'm a huge advocate as well. Just do not let your client teapot. You're not moving like in sections. Demonstrate that when whole body. Yes. So none of this. (laughs) It's this. (laughs) I was was hoping you were going to sing I'm a little teapot. But oh, uh, oh uh, yeah, still. yeah. Again, your musical ability is as good as mine. Nobody wants to hear that, Matt. Well, we, so. we both have seen it in Korea, so that just that stayed oh, there. Oh heavens, yes, thank goodness. <laughs> what happens in Korea stays in Korea, my friends. So let's keep moving. <laughs> we're also showing our aid with a little teapot. So you're up. Go ahead. So band perturbation, guys. You know that sounds. Everyone's like, what is that? I don't understand what perturbation is, and it's an unconscious reaction to some unexpected movement pattern that your body has. And so some people will be face down prone on a ball and you've got them in a high plank. And then you as the trainer can slightly hit the ball in different directions. And they have to, they don't know what way you're going to hit it. They have to maintain proper positioning and and especially if they're in a prone position against gravity. But, you know, that's one way that you can add that perturbation just for visualize or way to visualize what I'm talking about. So again, I'm hitting the ball, trying to move it. You were trying to focus on stabilizing and staying on the ball without having some kind of compensation occur. Same thing with the band. If you have someone doing, let's say, a Palov press and they're doing an isometric hold, you can take the band and kind of pluck it from one end to another. You can actually hit their body. If you have someone standing single leg, you can tap their shoulder, tap their hip. You can do a lot of different variations. But I think one of the things we we don't do enough of is adding unexpected movement because, again, life is unexpected. We don't know what's going to happen five minutes from now. We don't know what's going to happen in 30 seconds from now. And so especially in the gym, if you can get your body to react to some force that you didn't even know was coming, then you can take what you're doing and your body understands and learns how to react to that. So therefore, if you're going off a curb and you didn't know the curb was there, your body knows how to react because you've kind of trained for that. So think of the said principle, you get what you train for. That really does play an important role here and um, and have fun with it because it's actually really fun for your client. However, be sure you can touch them. So ask for permission to touch. And, and I'm laughing because I had uh, an episode, you know, I did martial arts for a year and learned to fall and I was walking down a metal staircase recently and it was a little slippery, but thank goodness. Like you said, I trained for the unexpected. That's all I'm going to say. And there's no video of it. So that's all. You remember after a certain age, you start thinking about breaking hips, Marty. You're getting up there, my friend. Oh, wow. (laughs) You went there. I exposed myself here. Anyone that cares, Marty's birthday is coming up. And so he is getting ready to be yet another year older. So. (laughs) 
but that's hey here's the thing before we move on well we're gonna move on but I, we're, this could be another topic yes i will announce it here i will be 51 this year but i'm not on any medications and i can still do whatever i want so it shows you that we can take care of ourselves and it works it does work <laughs> I got no choice, but all right. Last one here about right heel walks. This is just that anterior tib firing, right? Most people don't have a good activation of the anterior tib. Simple as can be, right? Just keep your core in the right position and your, you know, including your head, and just try to do like that penguin walk. I've heard other people call it, which is that's really more side to side. But here you're just walking on your heels in a great position, keeping that anterior tib isometrically contracted. And then you go for different distances and times and variations. You can move around things a little bit. But the key thing is just get the volume of that isometric contraction at a minimum if you can't do the activation technique like with the band, right? Because we do want the full range of motion, but still an isometric in between is still going to add a ton of value for especially this muscle here, which is incredibly weak on most people. Incredibly. And try to keep them out of external rotation, especially if they're standing. So, you know, start even in a seated position and have them just do it and watch what their foot does. So make sure proper alignment. That's super important. So, Marty, I, you know, again, I know this was something that you love. I love, too. So I was really excited when you're like, let's just start back at the basics. And, you know, we have got amazing things coming up in 2024. But guys, sometimes we need to take a step back and put it all together. And I think that's one of the things that if you're not a corrective exercise specialist, hopefully maybe this is going to cause you to think, well, maybe I should be because I'm telling you, you can gather a lot of really, really good information by understanding this four step process and then taking these exercises and kind of utilizing it and sprinkle it in right now with what you're doing with your clients, because you can really feel certain muscles firing at the right time. So if you have questions, always feel free to contact me at wendy.bats at nasm.org, or you can find us or find me on Instagram at wendy.bats13. Yeah, my info is right here. So Instagram, dr.martymiller72, and my email, marty.miller.nasm.org. So Wendy, thanks for all the great content. Love it. And for all of you that joined us, we really, truly do thank you and appreciate your time. And most importantly, we look forward to hearing from you and seeing you next week on the Master Instructor Roundtable. 